In uh, just a few moments, I'm going to read for us several passages this morning from the Gospel of Matthew. You are welcome, as always, to follow along in your Bibles if you brought them with you or in one of those blue pew Bibles. But I will say uh, that has, has been the case in a lot of this series uh, thus far this summer, that you may find it, I think you'll find it more convenient this morning to follow along in, uh, the, Bible, in, in the bulletin this morning because the passages are printed there and they're from a couple of different places in Matthew. And in addition to that, on page seven of, uh, of your bulletin this morning, I've got some additional passages that are printed there that I'm going to be referencing in the sermon itself and then some others as well that you can consider together uh, at home either uh, today or this week. So uh, we continue this morning the series that has occupied us over the course of the summer a Biblical Theology of Eating and Drinking. Eat Hearty is the title of the series. Uh, if you haven't been here for the entirety of that, or if in particular you weren't here uh, for last week's sermon, I would encourage you to listen to them uh, online. And this morning, our topic is fasting. And, and it is the counterweight, the counterbalance to the sermon that I preached last week. So last week's sermon was on feasting, and this is the other side of it. So if someone happened to be here last week and didn't get this one, it's going to be out of balance. Or if you're here this week and you didn't get last one, sorry, it's going to feel a little bit out of balance this morning uh, as well. But they are available for us uh, online. Now, I have had occasion to preach on fasting before here in the church. That has been particularly as we've worked our way through books of the Bible and we've seen examples of fasting in various places. And so it's been appropriate to address it as we have seen that come up in various books. But there's no way I couldn't return to it in the context of a series like this. It has to be there because it's critical for us to understand how all of this kind of fits together in the providence of God and in the scriptures. Now, uh, fasting, as we know, uh, is something that is physical, and as such, it has implications for our physical health and our physical well-being. And so, before this sermon, at the beginning here of this sermon, before I even read the text for us, Please remember that if you have particular health concerns, if you have questions about fasting and your particular situation with your own health, talk to your doctor about that. And if you are uh, one of the children here today of the church, then before you do this, or if you're trying to figure out a way to apply this, talk to your mom and dad uh, about it and try and uh, get some good counsel from mom and dad about what you can do. So with that, with that little caution in place, let me now read from the Gospel of Matthew in these sections that I have included here in your bulletin. This is the Word of God, and the first one that I'm going to read for us is from Matthew chapter 4. This, as you will recognize, is the temptation of our Lord, at least the first two verses of it. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And now, shortly thereafter, Matthew chapter 6, of course, is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus also addresses fasting with these words. And when you fast, 
Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And now one more passage from Matthew chapter 9. Then the disciples of John, that is John the Baptist, came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins and so both are preserved. Fasting for God himself. Lord, we pray that you would help us as we look at your word this morning. We know that fasting, like every other thing that you've given to us in this world, can go wrong. It can be done poorly and inappropriately. And we pray that you would help us as your people to hear your word well today and be able to apply it to our lives in a good way and in a right way and an appropriate way. And Jesus, we pray that you would guide us in that spirit of God. Help us to understand the word that is before us this morning. In his name we pray. Amen. If there is a time to feast, and last week, I hope what you recall is that we saw as we considered Scripture that indeed there is a time to feast. So if there is a time to feast, then there is also a time to fast. That's the Ecclesiastes 3 pattern, right? So there's a time to laugh and there's a time to weep. There's a time to dance and there is a time to mourn. And correspondingly then, and I noted this last week that the words that fasting or feasting are not found in Ecclesiastes 3, but nevertheless, the entire principle applies here as well. Correspondingly, if there is a time to feast, if there's a time to celebrate and to give thanks in this world, if there's a time to, in the words of Ecclesiastes, laugh and dance then there's a time to feast, and there are other times in this life, times of loss and times of longing, times when you feel in your life a deep conviction about the sins that we have committed. There are times of disappointment and times of bad news that we receive, There are times of grief, there are times of sorrow, there are times in our lives to weep and to mourn, and so there is also a time to fast. In the last passage that I read for us, the one from Matthew chapter 9, there 
in the middle of page six. The disciples of John the Baptist come to Jesus, and as they come to Jesus, they have a question with respect to fasting. And as we read it, the question is very straightforward, right? The, the question is very simple. Uh, why do we, that is we, the disciples of John the Baptist, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? Now, the focus here is on the disciples. They may have said it is to, with respect to Jesus as well. Later that will be said, or things like it will be said of Jesus, that he's a glutton and a drunkard. We started uh, there uh, a month and a half ago now. Uh, maybe, I don't know, it's hard to know, did they know about the fast that started off his ministry? It's hard to say, but why don't your disciples fast? They're puzzled by the early and the evident tendency, pattern of Jesus and his disciples to eat, to eat regularly, to feast. And in fact, this passage that is before us this morning, I, I didn't include the entire context of it because the context of it is exactly what we read last week. The context of it is the feast, the celebration that Levi is holding, Levi slash Matthew is holding after Jesus has called him to follow him. And so it's, it's that very feast, it's that very time of eating and feasting that leads to this question from them about fasting. Now, from Scripture and from early historical documents, we can deduce, we can ascertain that fasting had become kind of a regular spiritual discipline for those who took religion seriously. Okay? So if you were a serious person and you were a serious person about following after Yahweh, then fasting was part of what you did. And I know this is a negative example, but just remember the illustration that Jesus gives of the Pharisee and uh, the tax collector. And the Pharisee's boast is, I fast twice a week. I fast twice a week. And really, this isn't that hard for us to imagine. It's not hard for us to imagine that if fasting is a regular part of your religious practice, then a lot of eating and feasting, when, when you look at it, might appear to you to be, I don't know, cavalier, a little bit frivolous, indicative of somebody who doesn't take their faith as seriously as I do. It might seem to be indulgent. It might appear to be contrary to self-denial. You know, isn't denying yourself part of religion? Isn't fasting part of denying yourself? And you don't really seem to be practicing that. In fact, it, it could be accused of like looking like hedonism. You know, the way you indulge, the way you partake of all of these feasts, the way you eat and drink in these various situations, it's kind of irreligious when you look at it and if you're a person who has practiced fasting on a regular basis. So, in one sense, it's not surprising. And Jesus responds by saying, the issue is actually one of timing. To put it in the word of Ecclesiastes, there's a time to fast and there's a time to feast. And what Jesus is saying is it's actually a question of timing, of situational awareness, of knowing. 
what is appropriate, what is suitable, and when. What, what, is, what should be done and when should that thing be done? Jesus, in his reply, affirms that indeed there will be a time for fasting, right? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. There will be a time for fasting, but the time for fasting is not when I'm here with you. And then he gives these kind of uh, similes, these metaphors to describe what that would be like. He says, fasting right now would be like fasting at a wedding, and you don't fast at a wedding, you feast at a wedding. And then he gives the illustrations with respect to the cloth. You don't mix old and new cloth because they don't go together, they tear, they shrink in different ways, uh, so you can't do that. Uh, and, and he continues on with the wineskins and talks about the wineskins and why you can't put new wine into old wineskins and it doesn't work that way. So Jesus is trying to say there are things that fit and are appropriate at a particular time and things that don't. And here I am right now. I am here, Luke chapter 4. Jesus quotes from Isaiah. I already included it in my uh, prayer just a few moments ago. But Jesus quotes from Isaiah right after the temptation and says, this is the time, this is the year of the Lord's favor. This is the time of release, the time of recovery, the time of restoration. And it's not, therefore, a time to fast when I am here in your midst. So, today what I, do, what I want to do is ask a fundamental question, when is fasting appropriate? When is it suitable? In what situations? But before we do that, let's acknowledge that fasting is an appropriate part of our walk with the Lord as Christians. I suspect that if I was preaching in AD 200, that I probably wouldn't have to preach on the fact that fasting is a relevant spiritual discipline for the people of the church. Everyone would have assumed that. But for us, we're in a different place in history, and we can be a little suspicious of things like fasting, and we live, frankly, as all of us know, in, relatively speaking, a pretty affluent society where we're used to eating when we want to eat and just going and getting something out of the cupboard. It's, it's something that's very easy for us, and, frankly, fasting is hard. So anyway... With just the passages, and I'm not going to belabor this point, but with just the passages that I've spread across our bulletin this morning, I hope it is clear that indeed fasting should be, can be a part of our spiritual life. Let's look at just the obvious. The obvious fact, first of all, that Jesus fasted, right? At the beginning of his ministry, we read of the fast that he entered into. The early church fasted. I want you to look at a few of these passages here. Uh, with me on page 7. The early church fasted. Uh, the church was gathered together in Antioch while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. There's no instruction there about the fact that you should or shouldn't fast. It's just that's what they were doing. They were fasting. In Acts chapter 14, if we followed this a little bit further, we would see that when Paul and Barnabas started these churches and they appointed elders, they did this exact same process. 
they appointed them and, and left them with prayer and with fasting. Those two things went together. And of course, there are numerous examples of fasting in the Old Testament, fasts that were personal fasts, fasts that were corporate fasts. Uh, fasts were called for in the Old Testament. We saw uh, Esther uh, call for a fast on the front of your bulletin uh, this morning is from Joel chapter 1. Consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Put that passage in comparison to the Deuteronomy 14 passage that we spent so much time in last week. In that passage, you went to the house of the Lord to do what? To feast. You went to the house of the Lord to rejoice and feast. In this passage, you go to the house of the Lord, you go to the exact same God, the situation though is different, and you go to the house of the Lord called by the priest to do so, and you go there and you fast. So there are public fasts, there are called fasts, there are personal fasts that are there. Ezra himself calls for a fast, for a safe journey going to Jerusalem and seeking after God and seeking after the face of God. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave corrective instructions, corrective instructions on the practice of fasting. We just read them. I just read them for you. He says, you know what, that, that, that part that, that is real external with the clothing and with, with you know, putting dirt on your head, he goes, that's, that's external. That's not appropriate anymore because what I'm really after is the heart that's going on here. Fast, but don't do all of that external stuff that goes along with it. He gives those instructions in the same place where he's giving instructions on giving and instructions on prayer. And all of us assume that giving and prayer are things that are to be continued in the life of the church. So Jesus, in giving these instructions about fasting. There was a document in the early church describing the teaching and the practice of the church that again advocated that Christians should fast two days a week. And in case there's any doubt, I'm going to end it here with this, this little section on uh, the, the appropriateness of fasting in our lives. Uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, which are the standards of our church, the Book of Church Order, which is the book of polity, how church life works, both of them say that fasting is an appropriate means of worship for the people of God, at least on occasion. So it, it should be clear to us that it's completely appropriate to fast, generally speaking, as part of our devotional life. But now, let's address the question that we had when we went into this. Let's drill down a little deeper and see when, in particular, is fasting employed. Uh, when do we do this? What, what, what's the proper situation? And if we took time to kind of work our way through Scripture and, and synthesize the passages, and I'll do a little bit of this in, in just a moment, then I think we could see that there are three times that are given to us in Scripture that are appropriate for fasting. One is when there are seasons of particular need that exist. Two is when you want to give expression and deepening to repentance and sorrow. Okay, that's, that's number two. And then number three in Scripture is as a part of consecration, as a part of preparing yourself for the worship 
and the mission of God. Now, these three things, they overlap with one another in a lot of circumstances. Uh, they bump into one another, but I still think that they are helpful as categories. And let me just quickly articulate or give evidence of each one of these things. So the, the first one that we said is you fast when you are facing a particular need, especially something that is acute. That's what we saw in the book of Esther, right? That's, that's the situation in the book of Esther. There's a particular danger that exists. There's a particular need that exists. Esther is going to get ready to go before the king and make her request, her petition to the king. There's a need and the people are asked to fast in light of that need. Uh, in Ezra chapter 8, it's in page 7 there of your uh, bulletin. Ezra 8 says this, Then I proclaimed a fast there, that's Ezra, at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. Ezra is getting ready to lead a group of people out of Babylon and back into the promised land. He hasn't asked for a guard uh, to be assigned to them, and yet he recognizes that danger exists, and so let's call a fast that we might have a safe journey back into this place. Uh, Jehoshaphat has something very similar to that in 2 Chronicles 20, uh, verses 2 and 3. Again, it's on page 7 of your bulletin. So, the idea here is a great multitude is coming, an enemy is coming from Eden and beyond the sea. They are against you. Verse 3, then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Okay, so there's the situation. The enemies here are at hand. They're coming against you. How do you respond to the enemies who are coming against you? You call a fast. Okay, you, you call a fast in light of that need. So, so that's number one. And then fasting, in addition to that, fasting is an expression of repentance and of sorrow. Even Jesus recognizes the mourning aspect that is associated with fasting when he says there's a time when the bridegroom won't be here and they will mourn. There's going to come that time. And, and when that happens, when that time of mourning takes place, then that's an appropriate time for fasting. You see this same idea of repentance in other passages that are in Ezra. I chose to put one from Nehemiah uh, in your bulletins again on page 7. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads, and the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. So they came together. It was a service of confession. It was a time of confession and of repentance, and to express that, they fasted in this way. Uh, so I've already read the passage that is on the front of your bulletin from the book of Joel with respect uh, to fasting, but let me just comment a little bit more on that particular passage. The call there is to consecrate a fast and to blow the trumpet, to summon the people together. And if I read from chapter 2 of Joel, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful. 
You see, the call there to fast is closely associated with the mourning and the repentance that should characterize the people in light of the fact that God has shown them their sins and their coming judgment. Calvin comments on this passage from Joel. And, and Calvin writes about this. He calls fasting a means to mortify the flesh or a remedy for some vices. A means to mortify the flesh or a remedy for some vices. Who, um, whom among us doesn't need a remedy for some vices in their lives? Calvin suggests, given Scripture and given what Scripture says, do you need help? Do you need a remedy for some of the vices that are in your life, a way to mortify some of the desires that exist in your heart? Then consider the place of fasting for exactly some of those purposes. Calvin continues, and he writes this, that a public fast is a solemn confession of guilt. He then who fasts excites himself the more to penitence. So are you finding your repentance to be a bit perfunctory? Something you do, you say it quickly, but you don't feel the weight and the depth of sin. Well, try this, and this is what Calvin is saying from the book of Joel, try accompanying your repentance with fasting to excite the penitence within us, to excite us towards penitence. Okay, so that's, that's the need, and then that's the repentance and the mourning, and then just the third one here, that fasting is a part of our consecration. When we read some of these passages that I've already read for us that are associated with fasting, you find phrases like, that we might humble ourselves before the Lord, or that we might seek the Lord, fast that we might humble ourselves, fast that we might seek the Lord. That's a means of consecration. It's a means of separating out and of consecrating ourselves unto the service of God. That's why the Spirit takes Jesus at the beginning of his ministry to consecrate him unto God through this entire process that will take place here. The fast is part of his consecration into the service that God has appointed for him. That's why when Paul and Barnabas are about to be sent out, when the Holy Spirit calls them, and then when they are sent out, call the fast. Send them out with prayer and with fasting. It's part of the consecration that exists for the people of God. Okay, those are the times. Those are the situations in which fasting can be appropriate. Now, let me summarize this by saying this sentence. Fasting, then, is part of something that God uses to recalibrate, to realign us with the heart of God and with the mission of God.
Have now come to their conclusion. And then if you look at the New Testament. 